You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Mangandang umaga po simbahan. That's good morning, church. In Tagalog, do you want to learn that? Good morning. Here it's on the screen. Magandang uh, umaga. Say it with me. Magandang umaga. And if it's a very good morning, you would say magandang umaga po. It's like mucho. It's like very, very much. And uh, I bring greetings from the Philippines. Uh, I am the lead pastor here. If you've showed up in the last three weeks, I've been away the last three Sundays. Uh, we were in the Philippines and. Uh, thank you. I just want to say a huge thank you uh, for sending me, sending uh, our team of five from this church. Uh, this is a picture of the first youth camp that we did on the island of Palawan. And uh, the second youth camp was twice as big and took place during a typhoon. Uh, so I, we, I don't have a group photo of that one. But, uh, but it, was, it was genuinely, God moved in power, uh, was only there for two weeks. But I guarantee that the seeds that were sown uh, during the two conferences, not only by myself and the American team we brought over, but also by the local pastors who we were partnering with in ministry over there, uh, there will be fruit for the gospel for years to come. And I just want to say thank you for sending us three ways that I've reflected uh, that even, even though you're not in that picture right there, that you were a part of sending us was uh, financially, Covering, uh, it was the donations of people from Hill City Church covering the trip costs, also allowing us to donate uh, extra towards the, the local churches and the ministry. And we actually were able to uh, make an additional donation for the typhoon relief for people even outside of the church in the Philippines who were displaced from their homes and needed food. It's your generosity that allows our church uh, to just go ahead and make those extra donations, uh, supporting us through prayer. I received multiple people who emailed me prayers while I was over there. And I know that there were so many people uh, from this church praying for us. When I arrived in the Philippines, I met a pastor uh, named Pastor La Chica. And he's 71 years old. And you wouldn't know it because he's so energetic. Uh, he rides a motorbike like a wild man. And uh, he told me that he prays for Hill City Church every single week because he knows that we are a financial supporter of, of the ministries over there. And he said, it's so good. Now I don't just have a name, but I have a face to put with that name. And he said, I will pray for your family in particular. And I was able to say with confidence, not only are you praying for us, but I can tell you there are hundreds of people in Idaho. And I didn't meet a single person over there who knew where Idaho was. <laughs> but I said, in Idaho, it's a real place. There are hundreds of people at our church who are praying for you and care about you and love you. And that's this beautiful picture of the gospel. And then also just through support. I know there are multiple people uh, from our church who helped take care of my wife uh, and kids, helping with childcare and bringing meals. And so I just want to say a huge heartfelt thank you uh, for sending us. Can we just celebrate just, just this church sending us over there? 
Today, I am super excited. Uh, we are starting a brand new four-week teaching series called Go. Uh, we're going to be looking at two Bible verses over the next four weeks, the Great Commission from Matthew chapter 28. And uh, really, this, this teaching series is a reflection of uh, where, where I believe God is leading us as a church. Uh, God has been shaping and molding and growing our church in deep discipleship, in spiritual maturity, even in number, in financial stability, for the purpose, I believe, of sending us out on mission. God has uniquely positioned Hill City Church over the last two years where many churches, statistically speaking in America, are struggling and are divided and are really in survival mode. And I pray for other churches in the valley every single week uh, that are hurting. So I take no pleasure in the fact that that's the spiritual landscape of our nation right now. But Hill City Church is an outlier to that. I don't know if you realize this. That God has been doing something special here, and what we have to realize is that God is not doing that for us to enjoy that. God is doing that for us to join him on his mission to seek and save the lost. Amen? Amen. There's a lot more amens and hallelujahs in the church in the Philippines, by the way. (laughs) Can we work on that? That's going to take some getting. Amen? Amen? Okay. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay. And, uh, and I believe God is going to send us. He wants to go with us into this world. And so I don't think that this four-week teaching series is the solution to that. Uh, in fact, I have many more sermons planned on this topic over the next year. But I believe this is a start. Uh, let's go ahead and just read the Great Commission. We'll be in Isaiah 6 as our main teaching text. But to set up the series, the Great Commission is Jesus on the mountain before he ascended to heaven, his final words given to the disciples, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's four verbs, four action words. There's four commands in the Great Commission. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. That's the four weeks of this teaching series. Today, I want to talk about going, but specifically going to all nations. It makes a lot of sense. Just got back from a different nation. Uh, The word for nation in Greek is ethnos. It's where we get our word ethnic or ethnicity from. And uh, in the New Testament, it can refer to a tribe, a nation, a specific people group, or sometimes even just the Gentiles, meaning the non-Jewish people. And there's this rich theology, specifically in the New Testament, of God wanting the gospel to go to the ethnos, to go to the nations, to go outside of the Jewish people, which if you've read the Bible, that's actually a monumental change from the Old Testament. 
Have you recognized this? The Old Testament is very Israel-centric, that God still loves the world. That didn't change. God still loves the whole world. But how God was blessing the world, you see time and time again in the Old Testament, was through the nation of Israel. So some examples of this. If somebody wanted to experience the blessing of promise from God, they would actually need to integrate into the nation of Israel. This is why this is such a confusing thing for the Jewish Christians in the early church. I think of uh, people like Rahab in the city of Jericho, right? Uh, the Israelites did not go into Jericho and evangelize Jericho. They did what? They destroyed it. But Rahab and her family experienced blessing. They were saved. How did they experience that? They integrated into the nation. You see this with Ruth, the, the Moabitess, that she married into the family of uh, the Israelites. And then after her husband died, she went back uh, with Naomi, and she married Boaz, and she became a great uh, grandmother of King David, okay? And so she gets into the lineage of Jesus Christ. And so the, in the Old Testament, you see that time and time and time again. If people wanted to experience the blessing, they needed to integrate within the nation, it's more of the message of come and integrate into us. But in the New Testament, you see a huge shift in that the gospel is going to the nations, is going into all the world. You see Jesus command this in the Great Commission, and you see in the early church, this already begins on day one, the day of Pentecost. Look at how it's described in Acts chapter 2, verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every what? Every nation, every ethnos under heaven. They're all in town for Pentecost. And so the day of Pentecost, people, that's why the miracle of speaking in tongues is so powerful. It, it's, it's because people didn't speak the same language. There were language barriers on the very first church service in the early church where people couldn't understand the gospel. And it was a miracle that the Holy Spirit allowed the gospel to go into all these different languages, to all these different people. And then through the persecution that took place, all of those Jews became the, the diaspora, which were diversified all over the known world. And that's how, really, the church began to spread to all nations. It's all part of God's design. But this was confusing. Uh, to even the apostles who should have known God's heart to reach people outside of the Jewish community. And so Paul, the apostle Paul, found himself at odds with the other apostles like Peter at times. How Jewish do you need to be to become a Christian? Or can you have your own cultural heritage as part of the ethnos and still be a follower of Christ? And they fought about this a little bit. And if you read Paul's letters, he, he, although he was very Jewish himself, he understood that he, he was called to be an apostle to the ethnos, an apostle to the Gentiles. This is a primary reason why he wrote the letter to the Ephesians. In Ephesians 3.6, Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus who's having trouble with their ethnic divisions. He says this, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. 
And what Paul's goal is in the letter to the church in Ephesus is so that it wouldn't be a mystery to the church anymore, but they would understand God's design for there to be unity through the gospel amidst the diversity that people experience. So this is, this is very, very important that we still embody this today. 2,000 years later, you would think that we would have progressed past some of the cultural and racial divisions in our world. Does it seem like we've moved beyond that as a culture? You could argue that things are worse in some ways, maybe not always, but I just want to make this simple point before we dive into our main teaching text that God cares about every nation. Do you? God cares about every person and every nation. Do you? As an American, it's very easy to get caught into these these, uh, American kind of elitist cultural ideas. What's that song we sing? God bless. What if we sang God bless the Philippines? God bless Uganda. God bless China. Even saying those words, for some of us, that might seem like blasphemy. Really? That God would bless another nation on earth? We're the right ones. We're the chosen ones. And I'm just here to say, that's not true. God cares about every person and every people group, and he wants his gospel to go, Jesus, the Great Commission, go to the nations with the gospel. And if we don't have this heart of compassion for people who look different than us, who eat different food than us, who speak a different language than us, who live in a different part of the world than us, who have a different socioeconomic situation than us. If we don't have compassion for the nations, then we'll never go to them with the gospel. And I'm not just talking about the nations across the world. I'm talking about the people in your neighborhood, the people across the street, we won't go unless we care. And we ha- it all begins with a deep theology that God cares about the nations. And that's why Jesus commands us to go. Now, what I want to do is I want to look at four movements, OK? These are missional movements from Isaiah chapter 6. If you have a Bible, open to the book of Isaiah chapter 6. This is a common passage that is taught about mission, Uh, but I want to highlight these four movements that we see in the prophet Isaiah. This, in chapter 6, you see the calling of Isaiah into ministry. We begin in Isaiah 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is full of his glory. The first movement, if you're taking notes, that we see is most of us begin, like Isaiah, on the sideline of God's mission. Later on in verse eight, God will ask the question, who will go? Who will go? 
And, and we begin on the sideline. Even if you are saved for many followers of Jesus, it's not always an automatic thing that we join God in his mission. We're on the sidelines. We're spectators. We're watching. And so it's very important that we see what's happening here in Isaiah chapter 6, that Isaiah, it begins with this vision. Now, this is a crazy vision. He sees these angelic beings uh, called the seraphim, which are called burning ones. That's what it literally means. These kind of on fire, multiple sets of wings. These aren't like the cute little babies you know, that you see on the Hallmark gift cards or whatever. These are kind of scary uh, looking. And he has this vision of God seated on the throne. But the year that this took place was the year that King Uzziah died. And I've actually been reading in my Bible reading plan this week about the history of Israel, that that King Uzziah had a 52-year reign. He became a king at the age of 16 years old. That's a long time to be the leader of a nation, okay? They didn't have the the term limits uh, figured out there. Uh, 52 years, and he was very successful. He actually was very powerful and brought Israel into a time of prosperity and peace until near the end of his life, he was, heart, his heart was lifted up with pride and God struck him with leprosy until the day that he died. Now, no matter how long the term is for a political leader, whenever there's a major transition of power and imagine living in a time of relative stability, and 52 years have gone by. Many people were born and never knew another king other than King Uzziah. And he died, and that would usher Israel into a time of political uncertainty. Have you ever experienced political uncertainty? <laughs> and in a time of political uncertainty, in a time where there's transitions of world powers, Right? We live right now in a transition of a potential like nations. Who, who will be the nation that holds kind of the world power? And in times like this, we must remember this vision of Isaiah that even though the throne of King Uzziah is empty, there's another throne that's more important to consider. It's the throne room of heaven and that God is seated on the throne. And it's actually even his robe that fills the temple. It's possible that Isaiah had this vision while he was worshiping God in the temple. And his eyes, maybe the eyes of his heart were were open so he could see this transcendent vision that there is more going on than just the physical reality that we see right here. And he hears the angels, the seraphim, chant this worship Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Holy, holy, holy. And this really gets to the heart of why we must go. Because God's kingdom, which is perfect in heaven, must break out into the brokenness and lostness of this world. That God's glory must go into all the world. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 9, 37 through 38, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into whose harvest? Into his harvest. 
The earth is the Lord's and all that is within it. That's another way of saying the earth is already full of God's glory, but there's still darkness and brokenness. There's the, the kingdom of darkness in this world presently. And so we want God to send out workers into his harvest. It's his mission. It's his harvest. And so what we do when we pray is we put it back on God that word pray is not the usual word for pray. Uh, prosyukamai, it's actually deo, which means to bind. That this is an intense form of prayer. I think the KJV says beseech. No one even uses that word anymore, but it's a good word for the kind of prayer that we pray when we ask God to do something about the situation of things in this world. Uh, one of the things that stood out to me about the church in the Philippines is they beseech God. I want to show you uh, a picture. This is one of the, the churches that we visited. Uh, you, see, you can see me right there. You, can you see the guy next to me in the lime green shirt? Can you see him? That's Pastor Jojo. And Pastor Jojo helps oversee a handful of churches. I'm not sure the exact number, five, six. Uh, he, he, he specifically has this calling to these remote churches uh, if, you, if you followed my Instagram and you saw the video of all of us on the motorbikes, and if not, you can check it out later, uh, that the, the only way you can get to these churches is on motorbike. And then the churches that we went to aren't even the most remote churches. Pastor Jojo and his other ministry workers uh, then set out on foot another four hours deeper into the jungle and deeper into the mountains with bags of rice on their back to give physical blessing, rice, to people who don't have enough food, and then the spiritual blessing of the gospel with those people. He has a heart uh, for the people who live in those areas because that's where he is from. That's where his family is from. And uh, I was asking Pastor Jojo, I was like, so you've got like, he has five different, he calls them ministry workers, right? Workers who are out in the harvest. And I just asked him, like, hey, man, like, how are you doing this? Because one of the things I was really seeking to learn is there's multiplication in the churches. We want to multiply. We want to send out workers into the harvest here in the Treasure Valley. I said, so how do you do it? You know, a typical kind of American question, what's your strategy for leadership development? <laughs> you know? And uh, we were on a walk. We were on like a 45-minute walk from one of these churches to another one, pouring down rain. I left my jacket at home. It was a bad move. And... Uh, we're on this walk, and I said, so tell me, how did, how did you get these workers? And he said, well, I, I realized, because he would travel to all these different churches throughout the whole day. And he would go to one church, and it would take him hours. He would go to another, go to another, and that's just a lot of work. And he said, one day, he uh, realized he needed more workers, so he called a prayer meeting down at the beach uh, from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m., and five hours... And he just joined hands with other people from their churches. And they all prayed out loud for five hours with no breaks. And the next week, two ladies showed up at his church that he had never met before. And they said, we'd love to, be, uh, we'd love to partner with you in ministry. Do you have anywhere that you can place us and send us? That's his strategy. <laughs> and it's working. I was very impressed with the work that God is doing through Jojo and his, his churches. He's never taken a single Bible college class in his life, 
but he beseeches the Lord of the harvest. He prays earnestly. He believes that God is real, hears his prayers, and honors his prayers. What do you think would happen if we learned how to pray like that? Would we, we, we sing songs like Lord send revival, but do we pray, are we desperate? It's God's harvest, it's his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We need to call on him and his power to send workers into the harvest. God is asking the question, who will go? And we have the opportunity to call on God to provide workers to send out into his harvest. Amen? Amen. And we'll work on that more. <laughs> Isaiah 6, verse 4. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The second movement for us to go on mission from the sideline is to a place where we become aware of our sinfulness. This is a surprise. Woe is me. We would expect the Holy Spirit, maybe this is an American thing, I don't, I don't know, but we would expect the Holy Spirit to give us a great locker room speech. You know, like the halftime, your team is down by 10 points, and the Holy Spirit to give us some Disney Channel. If you can dream it, you can do it. God needs you, you're the best, get out there. What does God show Isaiah? His deep sinfulness and the sinfulness of the people that he will do ministry to. This is an anti-American message. I'm a, I'm a man of unclean lips. There's only one appropriate response when you are confronted with the holiness of the Lord God Almighty. That's to become hyper aware of your own brokenness and the lostness of the world. See, an un unclean lips are the result of an unclean heart. Listen to the words of Christ, Luke 6, 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Or maybe a more familiar phrase, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Maybe you've said something at one point in time, and uh, immediately you said, oh, I don't know where that came from. That's so not like me. What Jesus is saying is that's the real you that you've been covering over with your Instagram filters or with your behavior modification or with your own self-righteousness. But it's those moments where the evil starts to slip out that we realize we don't just have a speech problem, we have what kind of problem? We have a heart problem. And that's what Isaiah is confessing. He's confessing, before I'm able to go and speak truth to the nation, I recognize that I'm not worthy 
that I'm not worthy, that I myself am still a man who sins. See, the reality is we won't go to the world unless we realize how lost the world is. And there are far too many Christians in America that are deceived and fallen in love with the broken culture of the world. We want to sing to God on Sundays, but we want to worship the world the rest of the week. And we have this syncretism. And the Apostle John told us that if you are a friend of uh, the world, you're enemies with God, right? You cannot love both God and the world. And the reality is you won't recognize that the world needs a savior until you realize how holy God is and how sinful our culture and our world is. Because if the world's not all that bad, why would you risk compromising a relationship with that coworker or that family member or that friend? Why would you risk any of the resistance or the opposition that you might experience for sharing the gospel? Why would you risk that if the world's not all that bad, right? If Jesus is just kind of a bonus, if church is just a nice extracurricular activity that someone might want to add into their lifestyle if it fits with their schedule, right? If that's all we have to offer, then we'll never go to the world because we don't realize that judgment is real, that we deserve the wrath of God for our sins and our brokenness. And so this is a surprising movement on our way to mission is not this motivational speech. If you can dream it, you can do it. Woe is me. We become aware of our own need for sanctification. We are sinners in need of a savior. That's the second movement. Isaiah 6, verse 6. Then one of the burning ones flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. The fire of God from the throne is so hot that even the seraphim, the burning one, is using tongs. This is insane. <laughs> and what does he do with it? touches it to Isaiah's lips and purifies them. The fire of God will either consume you or it will heal you. And Isaiah is willing because he is, he's confessed the truth. Woe is me. He's acknowledged. He's not pretending that he is holy, holy, holy. He's acknowledged the holiness of God and he's acknowledged his own sin. The third movement is towards being saved and sanctified. It's that line, your sin is atoned for. We, uh, the reason why I use both of these words uh, is because generally we understand salvation as the initial moment of cleansing and sanctification as the ongoing claim, cleansing. Do we need both? Yes, yes we need both. Amen. Amen. All right, a little bit better. <laughs> and what happens is Isaiah's admission of sin, what we call confession, which confession literally means to say the same thing. That's all it means, to admit the truth. We think of confession only as you know, confessing deep, dark secrets. But essentially, you can confess Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior 
It just means to say the same thing, to admit the truth, to say something that is in line with reality. And Isaiah's confession is very, very simple. Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. And what I love about this is it's reminiscent of the prayer of the tax collector. Do you remember that from Luke chapter 18? There's two men, they go into the temple to pray, and one prays a very pious, uh, self-righteous, kind of shaming prayer on everyone else, right? And then the tax collector prays this prayer from Luke 18, verse 13. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Very similar. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the, what Jesus' what Jesus's lesson is from Luke chapter 18 is which one of those people leave justified, the word that we use, the word that Paul uses for salvation. Which one of those men is saved at the end of the story? The one who prayed the simple confession prayer, the, the simple admission of I need God. Because that's legitimately what it means to be saved, is to admit our need for a savior, to acknowledge our own brokenness. Stop pretending that you have it all together and surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior. We don't do the work. Isaiah doesn't go to the coal and grab it with his own hands and purify himself, does he? God does the work for him. The angel is sent to cleanse his lips. Jesus Christ was sent from heaven to earth to live a perfect life that we could never live, to die a sinner's death on the cross that we could never die, and then to be raised back to life so that we might live and receive eternal life. Amen? Amen. And so for us, we must be ready to pray that prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, I want to I wanna challenge you today to respond to the gospel. You can pray that prayer today. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful to me because God is rich in mercy. He is great in love. He loves you so much. Not because you are worthy or good enough, but because in spite of your sinfulness, he still loves you and he created you and he has a purpose and a plan for your life. And the way that Jesus told us to respond in the Great Commission is through baptism. So stop pretending that you have it all together and surrender to Jesus in baptism if you've never been baptized before. Uh, I had the opportunity to witness 33 baptisms in the Philippines over the last two weeks. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. And it's powerful to see people giving their lives to Jesus. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, I just want to tell you, this is the way that the New Testament instructs us to do so, because it marks a purifying, a washing away of your sins. It marks a dying to the old life and a surrender. It's not something that you're doing to yourself. You literally need someone else to baptize you to raise you up, to signify the work that the Holy Spirit is doing to raise you up into a new life in Christ. In two weeks, uh, I'm going to preach a sermon from the Great Commission called Baptize. And we're going to have water in the baptistry. I can't guarantee it'll be warmer in the room, but we will have water. 
And if you've never been baptized, I want you to seriously pray and consider getting baptized two Sundays from now. And to, to, to wrestle with this, if you've never been obedient to the point of baptism, to obey Jesus Christ, to be buried with him and be in baptism and be raised back to life. You can always find out more about baptism at hillcityboise.org baptism. But if you're at all even on the fence, bring a towel that day. Because I believe God's going to call people to himself two Sundays. Here's the point for you. Maybe you've already declared your faith to Jesus. You're, you're already saved. Here's the point for you. God sanctifies you before he sends you. You still need to be sanctified. Isaiah already believed in God. He, was, he probably was already a believer before this calling to ministry, right? But he still recognized his need that there was uncleanness in his life, that he need, specifically in his lips. Because what would be the instrument that Isaiah would use for ministry? He would use his lips to speak these prophecies to the nations. And for us, we, we need to experience sanctification, the ongoing work. The Holy Spirit is sent into our lives for, for many purposes. One of those purposes is to sanctify you, to allow you to experience the white hot cleansing, purifying fire of God. That because you are saved, it will not consume you, but it will it will burn away the impurities that are still in your life if you allow the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin. The reality is, I think this is one of the main things that is holding back the church from being sent, is God sanctifies before he sends. Because the disciples that we make will become like us. And it doesn't do any good to go into all the world and make disciples who have logs sticking out of their eyes. What does Jesus say to do first? First, experience the sanctification of the Holy Spirit removing those things from your own eye so that you can actually see clearly to join God in his mission. So take this seriously, church. What is the sin? Not, not that it's preventing you from being saved, even if you're already saved, but what is the sin that is still present in your life that is holding you back from being sent on mission by God. This is a very important progression. Let's look at the last movement in Isaiah verse, chapter 6, verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go. Those are the verses that we often read. We forget the other parts about our sinfulness. <laughs> But this is the fourth movement, and the fourth movement is here I am. Raise your, raise your hand. Just say, here I am. Here I am. That God invites us to volunteer to partner with him. This is amazing. He sends us. He's willing to send us. He, he commands us to go, but he actually allows Isaiah to have the opportunity. And he, you see this all throughout scripture, to make excuses to not go, but, but, but he gives us the opportunity to raise our hands and say, here I am. And the fourth movement is to, send, to be sent by God, to be sent, to say, here I am. Now, God says, go to Isaiah, and the message that he gives Isaiah, you can read, if you want, the rest of Isaiah chapter 6. You can read the rest of the book. The rest of uh, the book of Isaiah is primarily his oracles, which are his prophecies, which are very difficult. 
prophesying about the judgment to come with the Babylonian exile and the difficulty. There's also messianic prophecies that point towards the good news and the hope of Jesus. But the rest of Isaiah chapter six uh, is not very good news. Essentially that he will go to the people and they won't understand, their hearts will be hardened, they will be judged for what they have done. And uh, for us, the beautiful thing about the age that we live in, the age of the church, the age of the Holy Spirit, is we have not a message of judgment for the world, we have a message of salvation in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a savior who's given us a way out from judgment. And we get to tell the world that God loves them so much. We get to preach the good news of the gospel. We get to share it in our conversations. We get to share it through how we pray, through how we live. And this is God's mission. This is the way that the world is saved, is through God sending you, through God sending his church to the nations. Look at what Paul would write to the church in Rome, in Romans 10, 14, and 15. How then, this is one of my favorite passages, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? You have to have faith if you're gonna call Jesus your Lord. And how are they to believe in him of who they have never heard? Well, how can you have faith if you've never heard the gospel? And how then are they to hear without someone preaching? So you can't, someone has to say it. Someone has to actually use, you know, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. But someone at some point has to use words, right? We can't just all be generally nice people. Someone has to use words. And how are they to preach unless they are, everyone say it, sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Who was it that wrote that line? Isaiah 52. How Do you realize the armor of God, what's on our feet, is the sandals of the readiness of the gospel of peace. You've been equipped by God to go, to be sent. And what are we doing, church, on the sidelines of God's mission? Do you want to see revival or you just want to sing about revival? Do you want to see the nations call upon Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Or do you just want to see social media posts and hit like? What do you want to see in this world? We are sent. It is a core aspect of our identity as followers of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Where are the workers? What it, statistically, there's you know, over a billion Christians in the world. But where are the workers? If every single follower of Jesus tomorrow lived this out, the world would be saved, I believe, in weeks. Where are the workers? And we, as a city set on a hill, how dare we hide the light of the gospel under a basket? This is our identity as Hill City Church. This is why we're called Hill City Church. We must shine the light of the gospel into the world. Are you willing to go? Now, does this mean that every Christian has to go on a mission trip? No, that's not the point of today. <laughs> Here's the point of today. Start in your neighborhood. Before you go to the nations, you better be going to your neighborhood. Before you buy a plane ticket and go across the world, 
Would you walk 10 footsteps across the street and knock on the door. In fact, it doesn't make any sense to me why we would spend all this money and resources and time and and, and travel across the world if we aren't willing to travel across the street into our neighborhoods. It's one of our core values as a church, making Jesus known in the neighborhood. Make Jesus known in the neighborhood. And you see this in the ministry of Christ and even in the Great Commission in Acts. But in Matthew chapter 10, verses five through seven, this is Jesus' instructions when he sent out his disciples. It says this, these 12 Jesus sent out. There's that word sent again, instructing them, go nowhere among the ethnos. What? Not yet, okay? This is his commission early in the ministry, okay? He will say, go. Now it's time to go to the nations. But at first, before he gives the great commission to go to the nations, look at his commission. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, start in your neighborhood. Start right here. Before we go to the nations, you better be preaching this in the synagogues. You better be preaching this on the street corners to your family members, to your friends, to the people who know you. Jesus, we've looked at this before. He had a ministry where he went, right? That was a a common characteristic of the ministry of Jesus. I read, uh, I would, one estimation that Jesus, during his three years in ministry, uh, perhaps walked 3,000 miles. He was closing his exercise ring on his his fitness device. He, man, that's, you gotta be in good shape. 3,000, I'm a runner. I'm like, I don't think I do that much mileage in my training. It's insane. So he was always going. But you wanna know the farthest that he walked from Jerusalem was only 120 miles. So Jesus was always going, but he didn't go across the world. He stayed in a fairly small geographic region. He started in his neighborhood. And he actually gave that mission to go to the nations to us. But we've got to start right here and now. And then you see this in the Great Commission, in Luke's version of the Great Commission from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. There's these four geographic regions. The rest of the book of Acts is arranged intentionally by Luke to be the gospel in Jerusalem, the gospel in Judea, the gospel in Samaria, and the gospel in the ends of the earth when Paul and Barnabas finally go on their missionary journeys. And that's really what God wants to see happen in your life, your neighborhood, our city, and beyond. And so it might mean that you get to go on a mission, an overseas, a cross-cultural mission trip, but I hope that it's not just one week of your whole life. I pray that we would be a church that is on mission, that is sent every day of our lives. God has, has shaped Hill City to be a sending church, and I pray that we get to see the fruit that happens when we say yes, when we raise our hands and we say, here I am, send me, amen? When we worship with people from other nations, uh, we get a taste of heaven. And we have the opportunity to do that not only on the mission field when we go across the world, but uh, there's people from other nations who live in Boise. And I would love to see, we have a a beautiful 
multi-generational church. And I would love to see increasingly a beautiful multicultural church. And we have to be willing to get outside your bubble, to get outside your friend group, to get outside even your neighborhood block and get to know people from other nations. But when we get to worship with people from around the world, people with different backgrounds than us, we get a taste of heaven on earth. Let me close with the reading of Revelation 7, this scene from the throne room of God. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every ethnos, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb, amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.